Hello and welcome to CEO Stories, the podcast series from the Greater Birmingham Chambers of Commerce. Each episode, I explore the journey, inspirations and motivations of some of the region's leading and up-and-coming chief executives. I'm Henrietta Burley, Chief Executive of the Chamber, and this time I'm joined by Deborah Hazel, Chief Executive of the Unity Trust Bank. Deborah, welcome. Thank you so much. Very happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So, for those who are perhaps less familiar with you and Unity Trust Bank, do you want to start by telling our listeners just a little bit about you? About me? Um, so, well, let me start off by saying a little bit about Unity Trust Bank, and then I'll tell you a bit about me because the stories sort of come together. So, so Unity Trust Bank is a, is a fairly small bank um, based in Birmingham, and it is a it has a double bottom line. So one bottom line is obviously the commercials, and then the other bottom line is social impact. So everything that we do has to have a social impact. That is what drives us as an organization. So a little bit about me. Um, I'm, I'm English, but I have lived in New York for the last 30 years. I have um, a background, an investment background. I was 30, actually 35 years in investment management. And I decided a couple of years ago, a few years ago, that I wanted to do something sort of quote unquote more meaningful. So I decided to take a master's degree in international development to learn much more about sort of development in the world and so forth and I'm a fairly international person anyway hence the international parts so finished that just as COVID was coming so in 2020 uh, left banking in 2020 finished my master's in 2020 spent a wonderful year just doing very little actually and then I thought you know what now it's time to to really start focusing on uh, taking myself on the journey where I can where I can have some impact and this opportunity came along so I told myself that I was geographically agnostic. Uh, this happened to be in Birmingham. So I said, yes, and here I am at the bank doing exactly what I want to do, which is trying to you know, better society. So the two combination of finance and impact. Yeah, absolutely. You couldn't have picked a more perfect job, could you? Combining that financial expertise and uh, yeah, social impact. But if we were to travel back in time and talk to, let's say, 10-year-old Deborah, what would she think about what you're doing now? Oh my God, she would have no clue about what it is I'm doing now. She would like ha- have have no idea about banking. Have you know? I at, at a, as a youngster, I was you know I probably thought a little bit at that age about being a vet because I love cats. So like a fairly sort of typical journey. Never really occurred to me to to, to go into banking. As I finished my um, a levels then because I you know, math was one of the maths I'm in England now maths is one of the things I was studying actually two of the things I was studying then everyone was saying oh go into accounting or something like that and I actually applied to be a psychologist um, at university but you know part of my journey failed my exams didn't get to college so I decided just to sort of stop my, making my way in life and I fell into banking at the age of 19 I fell into banking and um, and then the rest of the journey as they say sort of took its path from there but the 10 year old me had no clue and in fact the 16 year old me had no clue either so so yeah so there's there's all sorts of paths open that we might not have anticipated when we were younger. Absolutely and how did that falling into banking happen what was that first job for you that sort of opened up this whole pathway? So so the the very first job was I, I was a door-to-door carpet cleaner so clearly that didn't 
lead me into banking. And after two, two years of, of working in that role, I thought I needed to get serious about life and actually get an office job. So my only criteria was to work in an office. So I applied for a few roles and you know, a bunch of things actually did come up. But then I saw this, this, this advert in, 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 in one of the national papers, which just, it caught my eye. And I just kept on thinking about it over the weekend. And I thought, there's a reason I'm thinking about this. So I applied for the role. And I actually wanted three grade A, a levels, which is not what I had at all, quite the reverse. Um, but I decided nothing ventured, nothing gained. So I wrote, a, I wrote a letter applying and basically my letter, I still have the draft of that letter from all those years ago, was saying, you know, if you give me a shot, I'll work really hard. This is what I do. This is some of the things that I've done in my carpet cleaning role. You know, not a lot of synergies. Um, and they offered me an interview and they told me that I was one of 12 people interviewed out of a, a field of 300 plus applicants and they actually didn't give me the job but they uh, they referred me on to two other organizations two other banks and all three of them were banks in the city I'll name them Hungarian International Bank Saudi International Bank and Nordic Bank those are the three banks and um, Saudi International Bank offered me a role as a as a junior admin um, I think I, I think my uh, I can't remember the exact title, but just a junior administrator. And it was actually paying me a little bit less than the Nordic Bank role, but I really liked the environment. So I decided let's go for it. And it happened to be an asset management. And of course I had no idea what asset management was at the time. So there I was at the age of 19, literally falling into banking, falling into asset management and, um, and 30 plus years later, worked my way through the ranks. Fantastic. So how did your career develop from then? Did you sort of find a, a spark and enthusiasm for asset management? You know, what, what was it that kept you going? So, so I, I, think, I think my attitude actually is whatever I'm doing, I'm going to do really well. So, you know, I worked in a hairdresser when I was at school, but I was really enthusiastic and well, just sweeping up hair and washing hair and stuff. But I, I loved it and put my back into it. And then the carpet cleaning role, you know, door-to-door salesperson, that's, that's a hard job. But it's a really good discipline and it's sort of a, an eat what you kill discipline. So if you don't, if you don't you know, bring in any business, then you, you don't pay the rent. Um, but also I was very, very focused on making sure that I only, I only sold what was sort of right for people to, to buy. So there was, you know, it was very, you know, integrity has always been um, one of my sort of key, key, key drivers. Um, so when I was in asset management, I, it's the same thing. I just wanted to be the best that I could be. And I think it'd be fair to say that I, I wasn't ambitious and I actually, I'm not ambitious. And a lot of people sort of think that's, um, you know, the antithesis of, of, of the journey that I've been on, but I've just really wanted to do the best. And because I want to do the best, I actually enjoy every part of the journey. So it's, it wasn't there with a catalyst that says, oh, this is the job. I'm going to stay in this industry. It was sort of day by day, year by year, and then as time went by, decade by decade, and I just loved what I did, and I always have. That's fantastic. You know, it's that attitude of just be the best that you can be, um, I think is a, a great uh, message to share with others on that sort of aspiration to get into leadership position. Um, so how did that go then? You started off, you're working in the UK. Um, how did your career develop, and when did you move to the United States? I started in the early 80s in in the in the UK and um I worked I worked there for uh seven years and uh the organization the bank that I worked for was 
in the early 90s, like the dark days of the 90s, there was a lot of the banks were trying to you know, clear off their balance sheets, sell, sell the businesses that they could sell to shore up the balance sheet. And uh, I worked for one of the banks that did that. And they sold the asset management business that I worked for to another bank. And that bank gave me two options, either to work in their business in, in, the, in the city or to work in their U.S. business. And I'd actually gone, gone over to the U.S. business like a couple of months before, and I just loved it. I just loved it. So for me, that was a no-brainer. So in 1991, I packed up my bag, sold my house. In fact, I sold everything and just moved to New York with you know, a bunch of suitcases. And that took, me, uh, that took me to the U.S. And I knew that once I was there, I wasn't going to come back. But I mean, I guess here I am. I did eventually. <laughs> Um, and I worked uh, in that organization until the late 90s. And then there was some merger activity and you know, jobs were you know, changed and so forth. So I looked for another opportunity, worked um, in another asset management business, more on the client side and the business development side. So originally from the admin I went to uh, uh, an investment role, so I was actually investing money, global global fixed income portfolios. So I was managing money for, I think, maybe 12, 14 years, something like that. And then I moved over to the uh, client service business development side, which, you know, I loved even more because I really liked the sort of the client engagement. And I worked with central banks. So one of the things with central banks is there's, there's just one in every country. So I spent a lot of my life on the plane. So three weeks out of four, I was um, I was running around the world, but I loved it. It was a really, really interesting role. And uh, eventually in that organization, I was offered the CEO shot. So I took that uh, role and was managed that business for uh, three years. Uh, but I was offered the role in 2008, which you might remember was a bit of a tough year for banking. So I had to do quite a lot of navigation. And in, you know, in the year following, we, we, we merged with another business. So it was a very interesting time, very interesting time. And then in 2011, I moved on to another CEO role for another bank running the asset management business in the Americas. And that was the that was the role that I left in in uh, 2020, just at the start of just at the start of COVID. So so yeah, so quite quite a, a, it, it's sort of a thematic journey because it's always been with asset management, but I've done so many things within that business that um, it's actually been quite varied. So within that, as you've journeyed up into leadership roles, and in particular in a turbulent time surrounding 2008 and the financial crisis. Were there any lessons learned along the way or sort of surprises or challenges you encountered? I know one of the things we talk a lot about on the podcast is actually people being a, an exciting thing and sometimes a challenge when it comes to managing and leading people. But was there anything on your side that stands out to you as, you know, that was a really good learning lesson? Oh my gosh! So where do I start on this? Like almost every day is a learning journey. So maybe maybe I should sort of start off with actually getting into that role. So so when I was asked to um, step into the CEO role in, in my first CEO role, I, I think it was sort of mid year something like that. They they asked me whether I would I would step into this role. And my my first my first response was no. And my second response was like, no. And my third response was no. And all of the no's came from the fact that I couldn't visualize myself in that role. I couldn't, I felt like, wait a minute, I'm, a, I'm an investment person or I'm a client person. I'm not CEO. 
And it took somebody on the outside to say, well, you know, look at who's in the role at the moment. Do you think you could do that job? And do you think you could maybe do, you know, better job? And I thought, yeah, yeah, I could. So I take the role, take the role. So it, it took from sort of May to October, or maybe it's June, something like that to October to actually persuade me to take the role, which sounds sort of a little arrogant to say that people were persuading me, but, but there were a lot of circumstances going, going on there. Um, so yeah, so the first learning is um, for other people is like it's one of the hard things is, is visualizing something if you can't really see yourself in it. And one of the things that I try to do quite a lot of as much as I can is role modeling because so many people don't get to see what really goes on in a financial firm or in a bank. And there is, there's not enough role models that look like me or that sound like me. So, so I think it's really important to, to get out there as much as you can, just to show people that you don't have to be what the traditional CEO looks like in order to be able to run a significant business or to run a financial organization or to, 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 to run a bank. So that was... Um, that was a huge learning for me. And that's really informed me as I've sort of gone on over the next uh, several years. Absolutely. You know, it's one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast, as you realise leaders are human. Everyone's human. Everyone's got their quirks. <laughs> Just because someone isn't exactly like you doesn't mean you couldn't do a better job or as good as. Brilliant. So thinking about that particularly challenging time around 2008, I imagine leading an organisation through such substantial change and so much that's beyond your control as an individual, you know, so much happening in the external environment. How did you manage that? Was there anything in the way you approached sort of leading and managing your teams to help guide them through what must have been a challenging situation as a leader? Yeah, I mean, remember also, I I had my I have my like trainer wheels on as a leader there as well. Um, but I think there is there are certain things which um, just sort of tr- transcend all of that. And, and that is, you know, you need to instill confidence in your team and that was an extremely challenging time and you know particularly people manage money and portfolios were, were were going down you know there were investment losses um and investment professionals for, uh, have have a real passion for their portfolios and a real ownership of their portfolios so it was really important to make sure that everybody had that balance between this is what's happening but make sure you don't like take it home with you as much as you you can that that these are out of your control um so that was the first thing second thing and again it's 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 not just 2008 it's all the time is communication you know communication to the team communication to your clients communication to your stakeholders um you know there was there was a lot of a lot of unhappy clients at that time because your markets were going down a lot a lot of losses and you know you just got to confront it head on and just tell everybody how it is what's happening no spin none of none of the you know stuff that you might say just be transparent and straight with everybody that's around you and just keep communicating i think that was a, that was a huge thing I imagine there's lots of parallels with uh, the recent experience of coronavirus with, again, things being out of control and uh, the need for authenticity. But before we get to that, you know, you mentioned at the start that uh, you, you took a sort of change of direction. You undertook a master's degree in international development. Was there a particular moment that prompted you wanting to take this up or was it something that you'd wanted to do for a long time? What was the inspiration there? Um, well, I'm going to go back a little bit as well on this question. So. Um, 
I, uh, I, took, a, I took a master's degree in um, 2013 in organizational psychology. So, so actually, let's go back even further. So I failed my A-levels, didn't get into college. So that was the young me. And then the 30-year-old me thought, you know, I should really get some qualifications because not that I actually really needed it for my job because I was already doing pretty nicely there. But in the US, and probably it's a bit like that over here now, uh, here in the UK now, is that if you, if you didn't have a degree, you know, p- people, particularly when you're in a professional role, people looked at like, you like you had two heads it's like what and and also you know one of the first first questions like what's your name what do you do and where did you go to school those are like well college those those are the opening questions so so I was felt pretty stupid saying well actually I didn't go to school so when I was in my 30s I did my undergrad degree did that out of hours Um, and then when I took my second CEO role I thought well I'm sort of leading by the I don't know whether this is a British expression, leading by the seat of my pants. So, um, so I thought maybe I need to like learn about leadership. So I took a master's in organize, organizational psychology with um, specialization in change leadership. And I loved it. It was just so interesting. And I'd also loved doing my undergrad degree. So then I thought, you know, learning, 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 sort of continuous learner. And then um, I had some conversations with, um, actually was over here with um, some very prominent people in international development here. And the, the chair of the board, I was asking, well, how did you get on your journey? Because he was in the finance field as well. And he said, well, I went to LSE and I took a master's in organized in um, uh, international development and god look at me now I'm you know chair of the board so I thought oh that's pretty interesting and I chewed it over and chewed it over and chewed it over for a few years and then I was like you know what that is exactly what I want to do so I did fantastic um, and with that having completed the degree when we were looking at opportunities what was it that attracted you to Unity Trust Bank? Because obviously a different country, you know, going to a different part of the world in the middle of a pandemic, that must have been a pretty big decision to make. What was it that made you think, that's the one, that's the role for me? Well, the, the first, so there was like a cascade of decisions. So decision one was I wanted to be in a role that had impact. Uh, decision number two was I didn't actually care where in the world I lived. And decision number three was Unity Trust Bank. So, so the Unity Trust Bank was direct impact. And I looked at a number of other roles and they were, they, they, they had impact, but it was um, helping other people have impact. And, you know, may, maybe I'm just selfish. I wanted to have the impact myself. So I thought that running the bank, you know, with the with the financial background that I have, then, you know, I've got that one sort of covered. And impact, it would be just such a really wonderful opportunity for me to explore what else we could do. And it's an extremely well-run bank. And it was, you know, run by you know, the, my, my predecessor did a really fabulous job growing the bank, building the bank, setting the impact framework, did a lot of great things. And it was just a, a really great opportunity to take something really good and see what, see how we could build it further and what, what more we could do. So, um, so yeah, so, so then that took me over here. And, you know, within 
you know, it was just a couple of months from that first conversation to getting off the plane at Birmingham International Airport. And I did look around me and say, oof, gosh, what have I done? But it's been it's been really wonderful. It's been really wonderful. And how did you find moving back to the UK after all these years? Um, had you been to Birmingham before taking the role or was that, that literally your first visit? Well, so so I have family in Kidderminster. So I so I so I'd been there, but and I'd driven through Birmingham. Um, but I'd never really spent any time in Birmingham. Um, and it's been quite difficult, not difficult. It's been quite strange coming back. And, and I'm, you know, I've been here since May now. So, you know, eight months, nine months. Um, but at the beginning, it was being a foreigner in my own country. And it was so interesting because I sort of speak with the right accent. So unless anybody knows my history, then nobody would know that I've been out of the country for 30 years. Maybe there's a bit of an American twang from time to time, but yeah, for the most part. So working out, you know, how much a stamp costs or, or, you know, getting myself re-registered with the NHS. And, you know, for someone who's been banking, in banking for so many years, I couldn't get a credit card because I didn't have any credit over here or my credit was in the US. So, so all of these things were, were all kind of strange, but I'm settling in and, you know, getting, getting used to it and getting much more familiar with them. Um, with the whole environment and the sort of British structure. And what's your first impressions of Birmingham as a proper sort of, you know, as an employee in the city rather than just driving through? <laughs> yeah, well, so so I, I'm a little ashamed to, to, to confess that I actually haven't looked around very much. Um, you know, I've been to the, we, we were sort of working remotely for the first several months. We had a couple of months where we came back to the office and the office is in a really lovely um, place. It's in Brindley Place by the, by the canals. Um, so I sort of looked a little bit around there, but didn't venture out too much. And then, and then we kind of went back to remote again. So, so the second time we went back to remote, we just opening up again this week. But the second time I thought, okay, that was a missed opportunity. So um, I did go to the movie theater once, sorry, cinema. I did go to the cinema once. <laughs> um, and that was by the canals. That was very nice, but I really haven't looked around. So, so my 2022 mission is to get to know Birmingham much better. Looking for recommendations. <laughs> We've got plenty. We'll have to take you on a chamber tour of Birmingham because there is an awful lot to see and do. <laughs> so on that, on obviously leading an organisation, coming coming to a, the UK, moving country, leading an organisation, middle of the pandemic. How has that been for you as a leader as, you, as you're trying to establish the relationship with your teams, as you're trying to get to know the business? How have you found that coming in during this utterly bizarre time? Well, it would suddenly have been easier if we were in the office, if everybody was in the office. Um, I mean, I think that most people are pretty pretty adept with using Zoom and Teams and so forth now. Um, it's hard to build those relationships. And you know, the thing that, that you miss, that I miss, is the casual conversation. So you know, you're learning everybody's name, you're learning everybody's role, um, and you're just looking at you know, faces and you're interacting over, over Zoom, it's a whole different thing from, from being in the office. Um, so, it, you know, I think I've got there. I think I've got there and, and you know, you can ask the team, they'll tell you whether I've got there or not. But it would be so, you know, it would just have been so much easier to, to be meeting people in the office. And, and not everybody's, you know, com coming in. So even when we were open, um, you know, people have varying you know, circumstances. And I think now that we've just coming out of yet another lockdown, 
you know, it's a confidence factor. So, and a comfort factor. So I think, you know, more and more of the team will spend some time in the office. We're not going to push it. We're not going to force it. You know, everybody has to do what's within their comfort zone. But personally, I very much like being in the office. So, so it'll, you know, it's great for me to, to interact when, you know, when I am in and to actually get to know people and not just the formality of Zoom, the informality and, you know, the, the leaning over the desk, chit chat and learning a bit more about who, who everyone is rather than just the role and the things that we need to talk about over, you know, in, in, a, in a more formal you know, Zoom type of environment. Absolutely. You know, Zoom's very efficient for working through an agenda, isn't it? But if you're looking to get to know people, it's those side conversations, the little catch ups on how was your weekend? How are your family? All of that was just so important, as well as the generating ideas between teams. But thinking about Unity Trust Bank, you talked at the start about how important uh, the socially motivated purpose of Unity Trust Bank is and how purpose has played an important part in your career and your journey and your decisions. Obviously, a lot of businesses are thinking more and more around environmental and social governance, their own sense of purpose and what that is and how they communicate that. What does purpose in business really mean to you? I mean, if you go back to the roots of banking, the whole purpose of banking is to um, provide financing for people to help build their business and to grow their businesses. Um, And on the other side of it, to take care of people's money and help them grow their money. And, And I think that a lot of the thought behind our role is here to help people has, you know, as organizations get bigger, um, and more complex and quite often the, the the customer and what you're really there for get sort of lost along the way so so that's a really a really important thing for for, for for us and I think that any organization that talks about caring for their customer and caring for their clients and and every organization does needs to think about it in terms of what are the things that a client really wants what are the what are the things that are going to help our customers and what are the things that are going to help our customers help other people as well so you can you know you you can argue in sort of the purest form that you know if you create a job that's creating impact um if that was the case then maybe we'd be lending to amazon because they're creating so many jobs but that's actually not what it's really about so we're really focusing on those organizations that are taking um, taking a position to better society. So, you know, focus on the housing associations, which provides housing to people that wouldn't otherwise be able to afford it, or care homes that take care of uh, young people or take care of, you know, people with mental health issues or take care of the elderly um, or, or the you know, CDFIs, we are the community finance organization. So we, we you know, provide some, fu- some funding there and their purpose is, Funding, providing funding for organizations that wouldn't otherwise have access to any funds. So, so there's a lot of ways that organizations can pay it forward. And it doesn't mean that you compromise the bottom line. It really doesn't. It just means that you think about the two things as they go hand in hand rather than only one. So what's next for Unity Trust Bank? You know, what, what are your hopes and ambitions for the coming years? Now, fingers crossed, we're coming out of the, the most turbulent part of the pandemic. Hopefully in that more stable not quite post-pandemic, but perhaps endemic period that we're heading into. What are your ambitions for Unity Trust Bank? Well, we're very clear on who we are. 
Um, we know what we do. We're, we're actually pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, it's not a complex structure. So I, I, would, I would want us to do more of the same. Um, where you know create as much impact as we can, focus on those clients who are you know creating their impact and see how we can help them. Um, looking at uh, measurements, that's quite important to us. So just to be able to formally demonstrate the ink, the impact that we have. So we're looking at like different measurement frameworks, and that one's a tricky one because you know you can you can you can count the number of beds in a in a, in a care home, but that may not necessarily be the right way of measuring the impact on that. So we're doing a lot of work and putting a lot of thought around that. Um, and then we're also talking to our customers to say, you know, what is it that we do that you like? And what is it that we, you, we do that you don't like? And, and what is it that you want? So we're taking some of the, you know, what is it you want and seeing what we can do with that. And a big part of that is technology. So we need to you know, digitize ourselves. So, so that's the journey that we're already on. So thinking back through all of this now, you know, your journey right from the beginning, right through to where you are now thinking about the future of Unity Trust Bank. Are there any leaders that have inspired you along this journey or individuals, in fact? Um, I, I'm enormously inspired by um, by prominent women and um, and and some of the women who've inspired me are not uh, are not sort of obvious, but I've. I, I, I sort of hero worship some of the female war reporters at uh, like Kate Aidy from before and and um, uh, Christiana Amanpour. I absolutely um, applaud what 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 they're doing. Trailblazers. Um, I've had uh, leaders along the way in my organisation who I didn't even sort of realise it at the time. But again, it goes back to what I was saying about role models that that they were role models, and it never occurred to me that. I couldn't do these things because I saw somebody that looked like me doing that. So um, you know, way back when, you know, 35 plus years ago, you know, the head of the department um, was um, a woman, Betsy Moss, who's, who, who, who sadly passed away many years ago. Um, but she was a driven leader running an asset management business within the organization. And I thought one day I want to be like Betsy Moss. Now, you know, I've kind of got there and actually probably done a little more because the organization I've worked for are like larger organizations, but she was somebody who who very early on in my career sort of put an imprint on me. And and she probably has absolutely no idea and her family probably have absolutely no idea. And actually on that point, even now I get I, I'll get some out of the blue um, contacts through LinkedIn or or through email or something like that from somebody who says, you know, I remember back whenever it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when you told me this and this happened and this is where I am now and you were so instrumental and I'm thinking like, gosh, that was just, you know, I, I may not even remember it, but so, so I think all of us have to be so cognizant of the impact that we have on others, whether we know it or not, and make sure that impact is only a positive impact. And on that, you know, thinking of the uh, role model role you've played in so many people's careers, the advice you may have given along the way, if you could offer just one piece of advice to an aspiring CEO, what would it be? So the advice would be, don't focus on the title, focus on the content. You know, what is it that you want to do and who is it that you want to be and how is it that you want to do it? And that might take you to a role that 
has you know c-suite in the title or it might not but just focus on content of the role and you ask for one but i'm going to give you two the second one will not surprise you it's just be the best that you can be fantastic deborah thank you so much for talking us through your journey today it's been inspiring it's been motivating um, and that's fantastic practical advice for our listeners to take away as well so thank you so much for joining us of course for all those listening remember you can get download ceo stories wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to follow us on the social media channels twitter that's at grb ham chambers linkedin greater birmingham chambers of commerce for the latest news and updates from the chamber